Hello and welcome to another edition of Heart of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Jan Bonhoeffer, and these podcasts are about helping physicians restore balance in their lives so we can co-create a medical system that benefits everyone. A quick reminder that you can find more information about our nonprofit, Heart-Based Medicine, and the work we do to support healthcare professionals at heartbasedmedicine.org. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast series two, episode seven, when we ask, can quantum heart-based healers and physicians now be considered part of the official medical community? Today, we're lucky enough <laughs> to be joined by Dr. Shamini Jane. She's a psychologist, scientist, and social entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, CHI. And this is a nonprofit collaborative accelerator that connects scientists, health practitioners, educators, and artists to help lead humanity to heal ourselves. Dr. Jane also serves as an adjunct faculty at UC San Diego, where she's an active member of the UC San Diego Center for Integrative Medicine's Research Committee. And she has just published her best-selling book already that is called Healing Ourselves. This is about biofield science and the future of health. Welcome, Shamini. Thank you, Jan. Such a pleasure to be with you and so good to see you again. Yeah, thank you. Lovely to see you. <laughs> and I'm also delighted to welcome back my regular fellow podcast panelist all the way from Hawaii, Dr. Dan Dinenberg. Dr. Dan Dinenberg was one of the original physicians at One Medical, and as a clinical instructor at UCSF, he had extensive training in functional medicine and is double board certified in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. Hello and welcome back, Dan. Hi, Jan. Thanks so much, Shamini. I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be an incredible conversation. Thank you. <laughs> so great to meet you. As well. So let's dive into it, Shamini. To, to start with, I'd like to ask you about how, as a medical professional, you manage to bridge the gap between material science <laughs> and spirituality. And how do you deal with the criticism of it's all woo-woo? Yeah, well, thank you for that, Jan. We've been hearing woo-woo for, for our whole lives, I think, <laughs> all of us in these fields. But one thing that I've noticed in talking with my fellow physicians, clinical psychologists, and those in healthcare is that they are having these conversations between them in what they call safe circles. And a lot of the work that we do at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative is really to make these conversations okay <laughs> to have and provide a safe space for people to talk about not only their research interests, but their experiences with spirituality and the material, because as we know, we're all whole beings. And we're coming to a time really, and the pandemic I think has really punctuated this for all of us, that we are really truly moving to an understanding of what it means to have whole person health. And that there is absolutely no reason why we need to separate spirituality and spiritual experiences from what it means to heal. In fact, as I, I, I suspect you may feel, and many of my colleagues feel, if we don't explore these aspects of spiritual experiences, we're really missing the boat in understanding the promise of health 
and what it means, not just for ourselves, but for our societies and our planet. So, you know, with that backdrop, I would say, sure, over the last several decades, I have certainly faced lots of skepticism around the areas of study that I have personally engaged in and that we forward um, with our nonprofit. And I think the time has never been more um, perfect for us to open this conversation all the way on what it means to be human and what it means to heal. Thank you. I, uh, there's a couple, uh, there's so much to unpack here in what you're saying. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with you. So here, I love that you're touching on, this is spoken about in safe circles. <laughs> so isn't that amazing? This is, this is something that is talked about and it's dear to everybody working in healthcare and it's actually known to everybody in healthcare that there are things occurring in the healing process that are much bigger than us and they're much bigger than our plans and they come from a scientist's point of view, out of left field. <laughs> but from a spiritual point of view, they're bound to happen and they're supposed to happen and they're part of the, the process. And you relate this to the promise of health. And I love that because our current system, the way when we think of material science, when we think of medical science as we have it in, in, the, in the Western conceptualization of health and disease, it's focusing on disease. <laughs> So the focus is on what's wrong with you. And, and what I hear from you is the shift towards where's your potential. Could you, could you explain this a little bit more? Like how, how do you pursue the promise of health with a patient rather than getting rid of signs and symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first to touch upon something that you mentioned that I think is really key for us to understand. You know, science and spirituality are both languages of understanding the world around us and understanding what it means to be human, right? So we, we employ different ways of looking at that. And what I find really fascinating is when we actually dive into the science and we dive into where science is going, we start to realize that we are actually moving beyond this model of pathogenesis. Because when we look, for example, at system science, when we look at the omics world, when we look at um, other aspects of you know, my home field, which is psychoneuroimmunology, right? We're starting to look at these interconnections first between mind and body, and then what we call the whole system. That is helping us open our cosmology from a cosmology that has been plagued, I would say, you know, our medicine has been plagued by a cosmology of separatism, yeah. which, which unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, is false. Okay, that's what the data is saying. The data is actually saying that that cosmology of separatism is false. What do we mean here? Let's just be really concrete. 50 years ago, if I said our emotions affected our physiology and could even cause disease or exacerbate disease, people would have thought I was crazy, right? Yeah. And they did. Lots of our colleagues said this. Everybody thought they were crazy. They did the studies. Bob Ader and, you know, and Dr. Cohen did some of the founding fathers of psychoneuroimmunology did that wonderful work demonstrating the effects between the immune system and the brain. Hmm. And from that, this whole field of psychoneuroimmunology was born. So we started realizing, oh, wait, my emotions aren't disconnected from my body. In fact, my emotional state has a profound impact on my mm. body. These things are very connected. And we understand that now more from a systems level. So as we dive into system science, what we're learning is system science is bringing us back to those cosmologies in spirituality that have always been there, that understood that we're not separate not only are our minds not separate from our bodies or our emotions, but our true sense of 
energy, as we call it, the biofield is helping us understand how non-separate we are. So when we look, for example, and as you know, Jan, I've detailed a lot of the science of this I'm in my book, Healing Ourselves, there's over 700, I think, peer-reviewed scientific references in there from peer-reviewed published studies of these areas, mind-body, placebo, and biofield science. And we can get into what biofield is in a minute if you like. But essentially what we're learning from the science is that a person's consciousness can reach out and facilitate healing in another person without touching, sometimes not even being in the same room, down to physiology. And as I detail in the book, we're finding these effects not just in humans, but in animals (laughs) and in cells. This idea that we're separated from each other is completely false. And the data is showing that our consciousness can actually facilitate the physical healing of a person down to shrinking tumors in mouse models of cancer, all the way to protein signaling molecules, all the way down to protein kinase level changes that appear to be consistent across different labs. So what does this mean? It means that that whole cosmology of separatism and pathogenesis that disease is outside of me and that it has nothing to do with me and I must go find some physical agent to get rid of it is a very limited view. It's actually an incorrect view based on the data. It's we're learning so much more about the role of our consciousness to heal ourselves and others. And I mean, I'm just, as you know, I'm so passionate about this as you are, and I've been so pleased to help detail some of the science in the book so people really know how real and how scientific this really is. Yeah, and you've done an incredible work. I mean, this is an incredible body of work just to just the compilation of it, just just that beginning step is just an incredible and a monstrous achievement mm-hmm. and, and so helpful. There's one thing that I'm really curious about because you mentioned kind of in the beginnings back when we started. <laughs> so you were trained as a scientist, right? So you were trained in objectification and you were trained in, in you know, the, the, if you like, the Cartesian worldview, right? <laughs> so is there, what is the inner shift of looking, what is the inner shift of asking other questions that you have observed in yourself, where you started to see, I'm not asking the kind of questions that are that are relevant. I'm stuck to the Cartesian worldview. I'm stuck to linear logics while actually the complexity of life is, is not linear. And mm-hmm. our methods, our scientific methods are, they go from A to B, but they don't actually describe, they don't describe the actuality of the phenomenon. What is your inner shift? What happened? As a scientist, I'll say, I felt that inner shift deeply after completing my randomized placebo controlled trial on energy healing for fatigue breast cancer survivors at UCSD. Mm-hmm. And that was a time, and still <laughs> this is the zeitgeist as you know, Jan, Many of us have been told that in order to demonstrate that any integrative practice, that is holistic practice, is effective, we must treat it like a drug. We must use what is called the randomized placebo-controlled trial. Well, I I am very fascinated by what we call placebo, and you know, I've detailed a lot of that also in in a chapter I actually call placebo heal, holistic elements that activate life force, because that was the aha moment I had when we did this trial. I had heard from years 
from practitioners. You guys can't do a placebo controlled trial with energy healing. There is no such thing. And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, sure there is. If I take somebody who isn't trained in energy healing, who doesn't do yoga, who doesn't meditate, who doesn't, you know, quote, run energy in the way that you do, doesn't have that skill set. And I train them in the hand positions. And I say, okay, you're going to do the same hand positions. I'm going to have all the sessions in silence. I'm controlling for placebo. Right. And that's the way I ran the trial and it got a great, you know, response from, you know, we were able to actually publish that in a mainstream journal, Cancer, which is unheard of for most of the biofield work. It's very hard mm -hmm. to get it published in mainstream medical journals. So from that point of view, from the materialist model, it was a, quote, successful study. But what I learned from that study was I understood from watching the reactions of the patients and the mock healers, what the healing practitioners were saying. Mm. And what they had always said to me was the biofield is something that we all have, Shamini. Okay, whether you're trained or not, we all have an electromagnetic field around us. We all have a subtle energy field around us. And if you have a sick person laying on the table and you have a healthy person touching them, even if they're not intending to heal them, current is going to flow from one person to the other. So this was their supposition. And I said, mm -hmm. fine, fine. I understand this. And I think that what we call placebo also means that if, if you're saying energy healing is real, then that means the training should matter. And it means the intentions should matter. That's what the healing practitioners always say. So I should still expect to see a difference between those quote verum healers and those quote sham or mock healers. Well, we did. Okay. We did see differences between them. And we also saw that people who received mock healing got better compared to people who were in a weightless control group that got nothing. And we saw that the people who got the Verum energy healing by trained practitioners did better. So hmm. why do I say that my eyes sort of opened up to the limitations of our materialist model? Interestingly, we had a celebration at the end of the study to celebrate the success of the study. And we had all of our practitioners, both the mock and the verum and everybody who was part of the study to be there to celebrate the success of it. And I remember my husband told me he talked with one of the sham healers. This was an academic, wonderful woman, you know, who we trained in the hand positions. And, you know, we had told her to go into her thinking mind when she did the positions like everyone else. But my husband asked her, he said, so what was it like for you to meet with a patient who was suffering from debilitating amounts of fatigue, put your hands on them and meet them for twice a week for a month and not intend to heal them? <laughs> and she said, well, don't tell Shamini. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end, I just let whatever happens, happen. Oh. And it was in that moment that I heard these words that I realized are limitations of how we try to put people in these boxes to control for compassion. You just can't do that. And the biofield, as we understand it, as we follow what the healing practitioners say and what they're actually doing and we experience it for ourselves, you cannot control for compassion. You cannot control for the energy of compassion. And I know, Jan, you have a great passion for how do we study these things? How do we honor these traditions and actually capture what is happening beyond this pathogenic model and the pathogenic model of research methodology that we try to place on these healing modalities, which are so deeply profound. So I will say the evolution for me is we're now doing studies that are quite different. We did a study that I'm writing up for publication now on the feasibility and the effic initial efficacy or the impact of distant sound healing for anxiety during mm. the pandemic. 
Wow. And we saw profound effects on anxiety. People came in with diagnosable levels of generalized anxiety disorder and dropped to below threshold, subclinical threshold levels. We saw changes in their spoken word, um, their use of language, a decrease, significant decrease in negative affect language, as well as obviously decreases in anxiety, improvements in function. But we also did qualitative work, which I think is just an absolute must when we're studying healing at this point that we do mixed what's called mixed method design. And we ask the patients in their own words, what was your experience? Because as you know, biomarkers are great, surveys are great, but understanding what the impact of these practices are on the whole person through a person's own experience and their own told story is absolutely essential if we wanna to get to the bottom of what's really going on. So, so that's a bit about my, that's a long-winded <laughs> sort of explanation of, of you know, where, I've, where I've come to with this work and, and the kind of research that we're excited to foster at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. I'd love to hear how you bridge the science and spirituality. It's incredible. And for someone like myself, as a physician that is living the experiences of my clients. I mean, ultimately right now, I am meeting most everyone through Zoom and connecting with them at a soul level and transforming health. And so bridging this and seeing what you're describing at a research level every single day with every single client and watching that open up. So when you give words and research to something that is felt and embodied and is part of my own human experience that just makes my heart sing. So thank you for everything that you do. I'm excited about the interconnectedness that you can bring. It is a unique place to be able to bring the research because it gives the opportunity for all of us to move beyond where we've been. So when you talk about new research, I get really excited because I think as we enter this new paradigm, we have a new paradigm in which to look and see. So when you see the future of medicine, many of our listeners are curious and they're skeptical. So how do you think the next scientific evolution will unfold as we know and we're feeling that it is unfolding right now? Such a beautiful question. And thank you so much for all of those insightful comments and your work. I can feel your heart, you know, when you're talking about the work that you do with your patients um, so deeply. And I also want to just say thank you and all the physicians and the healthcare workers that are out there for your patience as we researchers try to understand how best to capture the experiences that you're feeling every day. Mm. So, you know, thank you for that. And thank you for your patience and your support. You know, we, it's, it's very important to us. Um, in terms of the future, I think that we will all come to an understanding of what we often say at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative when we talk about the biofield. The biofield helps us understand that I don't end here. I don't end at my skin. So even when we're separated in space, say like with pandemics, for example, even separated in time, you know, some of our healing practitioners and quantum physicists will say, 
we are so much more powerful to facilitate healing for ourselves and for others than we we've ever dreamed possible. And so practically what I think this looks like is when someone comes in to see a health empowerer, you know, whether that's a, an MD, an ND, a phys, you know, a, a clinical psychologist, a healing practitioner, they're getting a whole systems assessment. And this is standard practice. So they're being asked not only about their quote symptomatology, but every aspect of their life, much like many of our holistic practitioners do, but this will be standard of care. From the biofield perspective and some of the work that we're doing there, I think it's, you know, we have a potential here to have really game changing technology to help us assess patterns in the biofield that may help us prevent disease before it starts. And ideally, this is technology that's freely available to everyone. So just like you'd go into a drugstore to get your blood pressure checked, you may be able to go into the drugstore to get your biofield checked and actually examine on the bioenergetic level, the electromagnetic level of your body. Where, you know, where am I at right now? How are my, how is my emotional state potentially influencing my system's health through these pathways? Mm -hmm. So I see that the promise as we develop robust biofield technologies for measuring the biofield and relating those to what we might call systems-based health can be profound. I mean, we're, we're a bit away from that. It just depends really on how much investment we're going to make. I think the, um, the intellectual capital, so to speak, is there. The interest is there among scientists to examine this field. Uh, but having those types of technologies that are going to help us to prevent disease before it starts is going to be huge. And, and for all of us as healthcare providers to feel really empowered when we ask our patients you know, and we're training our future doctors and our future psychologists, you know, some do this already just on their own, but really that this becomes part of um, medical education. How is your spiritual life? That question is actually really important. You know, how is your interpersonal life? You know, what is your environment like? What are your relationships like? What is your relationship with the earth like? All of these factors that we begin to, you know, deeply understand on a scientific level, we can bring evidence to and empower our healthcare practitioners to feel like these are really important questions that I need to be asking my patients. Uh, so beautiful. When I'm connecting three dots in all the many things you've said, <laughs> we're starting out with, um, this is actually talked about in safe circles. <laughs> then you mentioned that, um, the, the Hawthorne effect that you were describing in your study, right? Where kind of the intervention changes because the people change during the, the behavior of the people changes during the study. So that shift is towards compassion. <laughs> so basically it's, it, it shows this is, a, this is a fundamental, natural human point of gravity, or it's like, a, <laughs> this is something that we're, that we're natural. It's a natural state of being that is, is you need to actively resist because of your role you have to been ascribed in as a, as a mock healer, for example. <laughs> um, and the third piece is that you're describing that what you do as a scientist is that you capture the healthcare professional's daily experience. 
That's what I personally, you know, I'm a clinical researcher. So, you know, I have many colleagues that just don't care about humans. They just want to look at cells and that's beautiful. Um, for me as a pragmatist and a clinical psychologist, it's absolutely vital that we're capturing the experience of the practitioner the patient and the interaction between them. If we really want to understand healing, I think there's so much juiciness there to be looking at. Um, it's, you know, because again, the biofield is universal. Okay, we study healers because they have been doing this, they're trained in this, and they can be training everyone. I mean, every, every single healing practitioner that I've talked to from diverse traditions across the world have all said how easily teachable this is. We all have a biofield. We all have compassion, right? So we can all learn how to do this. And by studying these interactions with very skilled healing practitioners, which include physicians, I mean, I've shadowed incredible physicians in the cancer space and other spaces that just naturally know how to work with the biofield to facilitate healing with their patients in these ways. How can we augment that? How can we work with the best of science to understand what those key factors are and place them into healthcare and medicine? And you know, Jan, maybe you can relate to this. We have many healing practitioners who are part of our community. We have many, you know, patients or just people, right, that are part of our community. And they say, well, Shamini, you know, I don't need science to prove to me that energy is yeah. real. I don't need that. And I say, I absolutely agree with you. You don't need anything to tell you that anything you experience is real. That's not what science is for. It's not to validate your experience. The reason we do these studies is because we do want to understand the nuances of this so that we can better place this into healthcare settings. Because we do live in an evidence-based and evidence-informed healthcare world. There are reasons why we do this. And so it's important that that research is, you know, again, pointing to the benefits-harms ratio. What are the benefits of you receiving these kinds of therapies? What are the benefits of you learning these kinds of practices for your patients? What are the potential harms? So we can all make informed decisions for our patients, right? That's what it's about. And it's, it's so understandable given the complexity of this and the, the lack of tools to measure other than the subjective experience so far, it's understandable that science was kind of shying away, right? Kind of the mainstream scientific field was kind of, you know, like, hmm, it's a little bit of a tough question. Let's start with easier ones. And it yeah. seemed like that the material questions, kind of the molecular, particular matter-oriented questions seemed easier because the the tools we have developed are more extensions of our five senses rather than rather than actually being able to look at other sensory organs or sensory possibilities that we have that make up our subjective experience. This is so dear to us at heart-based medicine. So when you when you just I'd love you to kind of go into this a little bit deeper and see basically, could you elaborate in the direction then in how could we how could we all as healthcare professionals begin our own health revolution? Because this kind of health then starts with the healthcare professional shifting, right? So where, where, where are you there? Yeah, so glad you brought that up because that is absolutely key. You know, we all are eager to move beyond the archetype of the wounded healer, right? <laughs> it's yeah. very important that we do that for ourselves and for our communities and all the people we serve. So the third part of my book is actually called The Healing Keys, and it's all practical and very simple. So it's simple for patients, but it's simple for us. One of the key things that I've noticed for all of my friends that work diligently and long hours in the healthcare setting, especially, but even in private practice is it's easy to get drained. 
right? So that's step one in the healing keys is to ground for vitality. And again, this is all evidence informed. So we've learned from the data that connecting bioenergetically with the earth can actually help foster vitality, harmonize our immune system, improve our heart rate variability, improve sleep, reduce anxiety. There's a bioenergetic aspect to this that we're just beginning to study. Most of the research has been done with grounding mats, but as we might know, grounding practices have been around for millennia and are part of Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, all of these practices. So it's really, again, about understanding that we are deeply connected with the earth and giving time for ourselves to connect with the earth and there are very simple bioenergetic practices we can do to connect with the earth so that's step one ground ground for vitality step two that i recommend which will be of no surprise to any of us is to flow with emotions especially during these times have been so anxiety provoking and difficult for people we're dealing with grief we're dealing with anxiety we're dealing with depression we're holding that um, very deeply in our hearts as healthcare providers there's been a lot of despair there's been a lot right so how do we hold that grief and process it in a way that honors us and honors everyone else and how do we discharge anger how do we discharge you know some of the emotions that we feel while owning them acknowledging them and releasing them right so flowing with emotions is such a key aspect and there are key practices that we can do including simple breathing based exercises that i teach um, both in my workshops and of and uh, the book as well the third step which I think is very grossly overlooked, but I can personally say has been such a huge force for healing in my life. And I have seen with my patients is to unlock our creativity. Mm. There's much we can say about this. I dive into it in the book. You know, there's a whole ancient perspective on the power of creativity for healing, a huge, huge driver for us. And I've noticed that many of my colleagues who are MDs, especially during pandemic have picked up that flute that they haven't picked up in 33 years or you know are doing something creative every day to really again replenish their stores of energy very very important and obviously opening us up to inspiration the fourth which i know will be very dear to your heart is to connect with the heart for support and guidance right so very key and uh, i have some meditations that i give uh, for that and you know finally also and probably the most important key, I've placed it last in my model, but many of our traditions, as you know, place it first. It's surrender. Mm. It's surrender, yeah. right? So we can get in our bodies, we can know what we desire, we can set our intentions. That's another key that I talk about in the book, right? We can be creative with how we want to manifest those intentions, mm. we can ask for support, but ultimately, we have to let it all go. And when we sit with our patients, we want the best for them. We feel them, we utilize all of these keys in our practice with them. And in the end, we're not God, <laughs> you know? In the end, we have to sit with the fact that we're not God or goddess. And we can only surrender to spirit and surrender for the best and highest good for our patients and be in presence with them, right? So I do feel like when we practice these healing keys that, you know, these are the ways that I've parsed them in my book, we can do this on an ongoing moment-to-moment -moment basis, actually. As we begin to engage with these keys on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, we will find that we have a lot more energy for our patients. It's so rare to hear someone articulate a message in such a eloquent way. Thank you, Shamani. It's really sweet to hear. It's like 
I feel like I'm in my biofield and you're just reading <laughs> through my heart space and actually verbalizing it in such a masterful way. It's, uh, it's incredible. I really loved your heal, your holistic elements activate life force. As I go through my day, I'm lucky enough to live here in Kauai, and I am bathing in the elements of nature. And so in between clients, I am literally embodying each of the elements. And that is what moves through me when I work with a client. And so everything you're talking about from grounding to breath, to surrendering to it is just a part of this process that exists in my own experience. But again, to have someone that not only has thoughtfully gone through this, written about it, researched about it, it just makes uh, such a wonderful bringing light to those healers that are doing this work. So from all of us, thank you for everything that you do. Uh, Jan and I have been really working on this podcast in this heart of healthcare is really about health professionals and how we connect. And I think your first question to Shamani is how do we work together and how does this start from the inside? And I think what I feel is when I'm doing that work and I am ready to engage with a client, I lift as well as my client lift. And so it's that old adage of a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that's where the profound evolution is happening, where it's speeding up. And the more that we're doing this work, the more that people are being healed, the more that we heal, the more that we raise. Have you noticed as you've been doing this for years <laughs> that you're in a kind of spiritual ascension where things are moving faster than they've ever moved? Yes. And I will say I'm observing this in, in everyone, on, in the students and everything. It's been so fun actually to watch the evolution of the practitioners that I meet and the students that I meet. And I'm just so impressed with how evolved you know, these students are and, and the way that they seek out opportunities, even if they're not offered in the medical school. I mean, to give a concrete example, when I was, <laughs> I have to laugh because I don't know what else to do. When I, I remember being in a, a psychopathology class with my fellow medical students at UC San Diego when I was doing my doctorate work in clinical psychology. So we all took the same class together. And I remember a medical resident telling all of us, all of the students, that if a person had one major de depressive episode, that meant that they would have major depressive disorder for the rest of their lives and they would need to be on antidepressants for the rest of their life. He was literally teaching everyone this. And I looked at him and I said, how can you teach people this? This is so untrue. And he said, well, that's what the data says. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you that that has changed. Not only have the residents changed, but the students now at San Diego, for example, UC San Diego, actively reach out to the students in the naturopathic community. Bastyr University is there, the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, and they have student socials so they can learn from each other and actually share what is going on. That is an elevation. That is an ascension. That is a system-wide ascension that is going on with our budding healthcare practitioners now because they are awake. They are practicing. 
they are noticing and they're looking to fill the gaps of wherever their education is not taking them and they're being very proactive about it. So I think that's beautiful. And absolutely, it, our biofields inform each other, right? So they're looking to inform their biofields and their, their, you know, their knowledge base with their community. And as, as we as practitioners maintain um, a, our own sense, and I can't stress this enough, our own sense of well-being, which stems from the well of our being, mm-hmm. our connected presence, right? That is the biggest healer. You know, in my field, we talk about Carl Rogers, who was the founder of humanistic psychology. He was known for his sessions of 45 minutes of silence where patients got better. He didn't say a word, right? And everybody would say, how did that happen? How did that, you didn't even give him any homework. There was no CBT involved here. There's no cognitive behavioral therapy happening. How did this happen? And he couldn't say love, so he called it unconditional positive regard. Right. So that's the ascension is that love is our biggest healer. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> Such a clear, what a beautiful plaidoyer for, for love as an essential healing force and, and making it so clear that what makes this woo-woo is not love. <laughs> what makes it woo-woo is our idea and our fear and our shyness and our hesitation to look and embrace and, and face the most fundamental healing force we are all aware of. And you have that courage. You have that courage to actually go there and face it and and take it on and and unpack it. (laughs) And this is beautiful. This is the science we need. This is the science where it's going to go. And and you're pointing us to the future. You're pointing us to the next generation of healthcare professionals. And it's so wise to learn from the future. What is their attitudes? What, is it, what, is it, what, is it, what are the values that they share? Beautiful. Oh my yeah. God, we can go on for so long and we didn't even get to start and kind of unpack biofield. What is it actually that you mean by this? And there's another, you know, a whole days, a whole weekends, a whole week seminar that you could give on this. <laughs> So, and I do, yeah. You do? <laughs> I encourage people if they are interested in these areas, um, you know, we do a lot of unpacking, obviously, with our nonprofit, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And also the book is really meant to open the dialogue among our, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the positive, incredibly positive feedback I'm getting from the healthcare community yeah. on this book, because I think it's really helping people connect the dots and feel safe to explore it from an evidence-informed and evidence-based perspective. So if people are curious, what is the biofield, this term, and how does it relate to consciousness and healing? And why do I call it the bridge? You know, I certainly have other podcasts where I've gotten to dive into that a little bit more, you know, with Tammy Simon, who is the CEO of Sounds True, who published the book, of course. So we dive into that there. And uh, the book certainly is a resource. And the nonprofit is a huge resource for this area if people want to connect in um, to an additional community, um, you know, I know that Jan, you're doing a lot to foster community with the work that you're doing, and I'm so grateful for the work that y'all are doing and bravely pushing forward as physicians in this space to say, you know, the the heart is the leader here. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful, and thank you for your work, and and I'm I'm very proud that our communities are connected in this way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll be back and talk more and share more. And we will um, share some links that uh, that that, you know, will direct um, anybody 
looking at this and listening to you here and listening to us on this podcast, we'll provide links in the in the notes to um, to to the Chi Institute and to the work that you've done and to your book, and so people can find out more about the amazing um kaleidoscope of things you do as a, as a pioneer in this field so thank you so much for being on the show shamani thank you we're we're really grateful <laughs> thank you likewise thank you it's been a pleasure and an honor thank you both very mm. much fabulous so we hope that you enjoyed this episode of our healthcare um heart of healthcare podcast um this is uh, series two and you can find more information at heartbasedmedicine.org with all the links to dr shamani jane and i deeply appreciate you if you could click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on until next time take great care this has been a heart-based medicine production thanks for listening